Welcome to a new episode of the Saltwater Euphoria Podcast. This is your go-to sport fishing podcast, where we will cover all things from fishing, boats, tackle, and anything else saltwater related. Every day is an adventure on the water. We'll be sharing our experiences, stories, tips, and passion for fishing. I'm gonna need a bigger boat. Oh, think bigger, my friend. Think bigger. Here is your host, Captain Ricky Wheeler. Our guest on today's podcast is one of my closest friends, Chris Van Grieken. Chris lives in the Caribbean island of Curacao, which is one of the ABC islands. It's located right between Aruba and Bonaire. And Chris is extremely passionate about fishing. Like many of us, he does whatever he can to base his life around it and get out fishing whenever he can between being a husband, a father of two, and running a roofing company. Chris and I met about a decade ago fishing a tournament together in Grenada, and we just grew to become great friends over the years. We continue to fish together whenever we can, and he's helped me with quite a few long journeys chugging through the Caribbean when I need to relocate, whether it was on my boat or another boat I was running. And he actually is a big part of how I came to acquire my current boat, Euphoria. He literally set everything aside when he was in the middle of building his own boat. And he set everything aside to help me retrofit and rebuild Euphoria to the fishing machine she is today. I mean, I definitely could have done it without him. So thank you, Chris. Chris is always my go-to phone call whenever I come across something I can't figure out on the boat. And he's really great at troubleshooting issues or talking me through how to repair something, whether it's something major or something small. And being from the island, he's forced to be much more resourceful than most of us in order to make a repair happen. So this helps dramatically because a lot of times I am abroad in the islands and I don't have the usual access to the right kind of tools or the right kinds of materials and he just is able to have an outside the box thinking and ideas and still finds the proper way to make a repair. So he just also becomes someone I love to bounce ideas off of and he's helped me out a ton. Chris also inspires me because he's proven there really is nothing you can't figure out. Now I say this in respect to boat building and boat repairs, but from that and all that I've learned from him and fixing things I never thought I'd fix before, I've actually taken that mentality beyond boat building and boat repair into my daily life because if you really do want to do something and achieve a goal or dream, if you try hard enough and work at it, you really can get there. And it sounds so cliche to say, but it's absolutely true. So very seldom the best things in life come easily. But anyway, what we're going to discuss in today's podcast is how he personally built his dream boat from start to finish. There's a lot of information in this podcast for anyone who wants to better understand custom boat building process on up to information that anyone working on or owning a boat can use. So, of course, by nature, we can't help but talk about Curacao's fishery every now and then as well, but this podcast is based around the boat build of his 40-foot Downey-style sport fishing boat. Hey, Chris, what's up? What's up, man? Not too much, just in the boat yard. Same old, same old lately for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be fishing. How is the fishing? Fishing's pretty good. Uh, every time we head out, we're, we're raising at least one or two billfish, which uh, makes me very happy. The only thing that, you know, I'm, you know how much I love tuna fishing, but the tuna, yeah. there's just not around, which is weird because last year 
they were so thick and then they just haven't shown up, but the Mahis have shown up, which is, uh, which is cool. And they're not schoolies. They're all gaffers, you know, this past, uh, sun, when did we fish? Uh, no, Tuesday. We caught uh, four, four really big ones. You know, the smallest one was 25. The big, biggest one was 35. So, uh, and we oh, released, nice. yeah, and we released two shellfish. So it was a great day. Yeah, that's awesome. Are the, the mahi on debris there or just kind of trolling around? Um, uh, blind? No, we, uh, the two of the mahis were on a piece of wood. So we, uh, we saw a piece of wood and we were like, oh God, it's going to be showtime. And believe it or not, Ricky, piece of wood only had two mahis on it no trigger fish <laughs> nothing else just two mahis nothing else you know so and then uh later on uh we saw two uh two birds working and picked up another two mahi so must have came straight from the flats in venezuela i guess and then exactly. no yeah, yeah. yeah that's crazy um last year i guess i was there at this time and yeah the tuna fishing was absolutely epic like and yeah. full range different sizes from small black fins, small yellow fins on up to hundred plus pound. You know, you guys are getting some Allison's too after I left. Yeah. Uh, totally yeah. different this year, I guess, huh? Just Yeah. And, and the seaweed, you know, the sargasm came in really thick, uh, -huh. uh very early. Normally it doesn't come uh, get here till, you know, June, but it's already here. And it's, okay. I mean, we ran into pieces that were as big as little Curacao, you know, just a giant Island. Of it, <laughs> you know? So, that we fished uh, the the north side fad where you know we were expecting to see tuna and we were marking them on the sonar like crazy, but there was so much weed it was unfishable. We had to actually run back to Little Curacao to to fish Little Curacao because it, it was just so thick the weed it was just impossible to fish. That's frustrating. That's so yeah. frustrating. Do you know they're there? They're underneath that stuff. I mean, exactly. somewhere somewhere yeah. around there. Yeah, but yeah. what are you gonna do? I mean, what would you say your season in Curacao is? I, I haven't fished there at all enough to have any idea. And your boat's been done for what a year and a half now. Uh, it's gonna it's, uh, June. It's gonna be two years. And so I you have got to some tell time you, in them. Yeah, yeah, but I have to tell you, I haven't fished Curacao enough. I, I think I've fished other places in the world more. No, I know I fished other places in the world more than Curacao, even though I live here. Like where? Like where yeah. you feel like you fish more than Curacao? Oh, Venezuela without a, without yeah. a doubt. You know, I, I, if you accumulate all the time I spent in Venezuela, it's got to be two years of fishing in Venezuela. You know, every right. yeah, summer well. when I was a, a teenager till I was an adult. So, so Venezuela is number one. Uh, and then, you know, ev everything else accumulated, you know, but, but finally I'm starting to fish Curacao more and trying to figure it out, but it's hard to, Say, you know, I, I just go by what other people are telling me. Wow. And uh, what I've noticed is, and they're saying it also, that it's not like it used to be 10 years ago. The seasons are kind of changing. And I'm, I'm a roofer, so I also see that, you know, with uh, normally uh, the rainy seasons ends in, uh, in February, but now it's going all the way through April and even May. So, oh, wow. It's a little cooler. So, I mean, you experienced it when you were here last year. You were like, it rains every day here in Curacao, you know? <laughs> I remember I was there. We were rebuilding Picante, which is now Euphoria. And I was like, wait, I'm on a desert island, and I'm rebuilding a boat, and it's raining every day. And every store I went into, I would go into Koyama, which is like the Lowe's in Curacao. 
And I, I ask people, hey, how you doing? How's your day going? Like, when I'm checking out, I'm like, great, it's raining. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want it to <laughs> rain. That's why I'm here. I got a lot of fireworks work to do. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it is crazy. Wow. So you think it's more so that, or you think it's the fact that they dropped a bunch of fads there two years ago. You think that's changed a lot for Curacao or it's too hard to I, tell? I don't know people. It's, it's hard to tell that the, the fact that we're going offshore and picking up fish, finding bait that we're going 20 miles away from the fad. So I don't think the fad okay. has affected that fishery. I don't think uh, people are just fishing it enough. You know, that's, that's right. number one. And definitely the fads have made fishing easier and more tolerable, I guess. You know, people are willing to spend a little more time fishing the fads because at least there's a little bit more hope. What I find here is um, the passion for fishing is not really there. You know, okay. the, the two guys I fish with, the Ricky and Irvin, um, they're passionate. You know, I, I don't have to ask or do you guys want to go fishing this weekend? It's we're going fishing and they just, they show up. And if I tell <laughs> them, you know, we're going to leave at two o'clock in the morning, they're there at one, at, at one o'clock in the morning waiting for me, you know, it's uh, just, pure passion yeah. right there. Yeah. Pure passion. You know, those are uh, New Jersey hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Now we haven't done the trip that early. Four o'clock is the earliest we've left so far, yeah. but, but they would never question it. They would just say, you know, like the other day it was blowing and I was like, you guys want to go? Yeah, yeah, we'll just go earlier and go slower, you know? And, and <laughs> Perfect. I love that. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Yeah. Well, so, obviously, you love fishing. And yeah. what I really want to talk to you about today was about the boat that you built. So, uh, like we just said, you absolutely love fishing. You purely have a passion for it. Uh, much like myself, I mean, we all do this because we love it. And so is that pretty much what triggered you to say, hey, like, I'm going to build my own boat? Well, it, it, it's a couple of things. The, the reason, so I, I've been living in Curacao, because I guess I came back to Curacao in 96. We, Jen and I moved back to Curacao. Okay. And uh, so I, I've always been fishing on other people's boat. And uh, so when, you, when you're a guest on a boat, you really don't get to say when you leave, when you're fishing, yeah. um, you know, and, and so, or even if you're fishing down there, if sometimes. you're fishing, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so I, I'd always been a guest and, and, uh, any, anytime I jump on somebody's boat, it, it took me half a day to get all my stuff onto the boat and then get it rigged and ready to go. So, um, at a certain point that, that just got, you know, frustrated. And I, you know, then I started dreaming, wow, I'd really like to buy a boat. And then, um, you know, I, I'd fish on a couple of wooden boats. So, uh, you know, the, the, the classic, you know, Carolina built boats, you know, uh, on uh -huh. man on uh, Picante, which is now euphoria. And I, I, I really got to appreciate what a wooden boat was all about. I mean, to me, it, it's, it's night and day. It's, it's the noise is different. You, it, it rides differently. It, it's just, it's just another experience. And, um, anytime I would go back on a fiberglass boat, I, I'd be disappointed. You know, it just makes another noise. It's it just not, it wasn't as comfortable. So when I decided to, you know, 
go and say, okay, I, I definitely want a, a yacht to go uh, to, to, to for, for our family. Um, I wanted a wooden boat and just the, there was, you know, the, those things started at a half a million dollars that don't have a half a million dollars to spend. So right. um, I started researching, can I build my own boat, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, Michael Nachtigal, uh, which is a, uh, uh, a, a local guy had uh, hooked up with Mark Shales from uh, Envy Boats and he had built a, uh, a small skiff, a 16 foot skiff out of wood. And I'd followed that whole build. And, and so I, you know, contacted Mark and we kind of started the process from there. And, um, and, uh, you know, uh, thank God uh, I knew I had contact with Donald Blunt, the, the Nava architect. So Mark basically designed the whole, designed the, 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 the whole boat. And, uh, he was at a 14 foot beam, you know, kind of a classic, uh, down Eastern, and I just wasn't comfortable with it. You know, I, I, I said to Mark, are you a 14 boat? foot beam by how long? How long was it? Uh, 40 foot, 40, 40 foot. foot. Okay. Yeah. And I just wasn't comfortable. You know, I said, Mark, are you a naval architect? He's like, no, I'm a designer. I said, listen, do you mind if we, we bring in a naval architect to do the running gear and the, uh, and the bottom? So uh, he said, no problem. So I contacted Blunt, got in hold of Chris Swanhart. And, uh, and they, you know, they designed the, the running gear and, and the bottom of the boat. So the running surface, and we moved from a 14 foot beam to a 12 foot, uh, six foot uh, beam. So what was the reason for that? Um, why, did just, you, why did he want to do that? Because it's just mu much more efficient, a much better riding boat. Um, he, um, he also, you know, uh, they, they integrated, uh, prop tunnels also. I wasn't sure about that, but, yeah. uh, again, talking to Chris, he convinced me, uh, searched on the internet and found some, uh, some great papers, uh, half the stuff I read, I didn't understand, but the <laughs> Donald Blunt was basically the inventor of prop tunnels and, and it just made sense. So, I am so happy with the performance of this boat. You know, it's what it's, was uh, the difference have been like, what did he tell you the difference was between the 14 foot versus the 12, six beam? Like what was the factor there? Significant horsepower increase, much more fuel usage. Uh, it, it just, it, I mean, look, look and at that one your, and a half foot through 40 feet. Just, it's yeah. just crazy to like yeah. believe that 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 different. Yeah, but just look at just look at the new sport fishermen, Ricky. You don't, you know, you don't have those giant wide boats any, anymore. True. Everything everything is just becoming, you know, sleeker. You're you're trying to put a missile basically through the water. I believe one time we were talking, uh, 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 Chris said to me, "If you if you want to add anything to it, we're going to have to go longer, but we're never going to go wider." You know, that's, yeah. that's basically the. Uh, their uh, their philosophy at that time. I'm not sure if it's still like that, but look at Picante. Uh, your your or uh, Euphoria now. That boat is is it's not beamy at all. It's yeah, okay. eighteen foot beam, sixty foot. So yeah, I guess comparing the Paul Man, I think it was twenty one <laughs> wide yeah. by sixty five. So I mean, I guess if you have by proportion, it makes sense. But you know. 60 foot by 18 beam and the boat's very fast for what it is yes. yeah you know, especially 2001 2001 you don't hear many boats that could do 42 knots and still not today so exactly. boat built before his time and that was yeah. donald blunt design 
Same yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, I, it's very rare that I have to know, uh, run less than 15 knots. It, it is, has to be blowing like crazy for me to have to slow down less than 15. I can basically run 15 knots in any weather, head sea, down sea, side sea, no matter what, you know? It's, it's so uh, funny. People would cringe at that number in New Jersey, like 15 <laughs> knots. We're not getting anywhere, but you guys yeah. don't have to go more than 15 miles, or usually less than that most times. So it's no yeah. problem. But you nice guys don't leave. The, you don't guys don't leave the dock at, in six to eight footers either. So <laughs> that, that's true. Unless the white marlin bites, epic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and it's, uh, it's the right angle, but otherwise, no. <laughs> yeah. So I cruise at uh, 18, 19 knots, and uh, um, I believe I'm using a uh, total fuel burn, like 22 gallons an hour. I mean, I'm- Okay, I'm, that's great. Yeah, I'm burning almost nothing. Well, and yeah. can we talk about your, your build in phases? Like, so phase one would be the planning phase, obviously. How long was your planning phase? Like from, okay, I'm definitely going to do this. And you start talking to Mark and then you talk to, talk to um, Donald Blunt and the, their designs and going from there up until you actually purchase everything and are about to build everything in your warehouse ready to go. Even the planning phase was, um, it was basically um, build and design as we went. So once we had the running gear figured out, and we had done the um, weight and balance calculation. So we basically knew where, where the, the engines would go. We knew where the um, fuel tanks would go, water storage. So we had the weight and balance and everything figured out. And we had the running surface. Okay. We, had, we, we knew kind of what we wanted to do on top, but we hadn't finished designing it. So um, as soon as we had the running surface ready, weight and balance, I we placed the order for, uh, the, the hull Jake. And, okay. uh, so I would say that took about eight months in order to get the, so from, from initial design to finally receiving the hull jig was about eight months. Okay. So yeah. So, yeah. When you build the hull, well, I guess the big thing, question is when you get to that point, how'd you figure out who your build crew was? Like, so obviously you're, running the, running the show, but who did you decide was going to help you through this build process? Cause you know, it's going to be three to four or five years building your own boat. I mean, it's three years to build a custom boat with a bunch of professional crew working on it right now, still to this day. So I had how no did you idea. figure it out? No idea. No idea. <laughs> I, going uh, for it. I have to say I've, I've been blessed. Um, just, I just do stuff and, People, resources, and and luck just kind of fall out of the sky and help me, you know. So I I started the process, and and uh, Sam and an intern from the uh, oh I forget the name in in English um, schools where you learn carpentry. I don't I don't know. Uh, kind of like a tech school. Kind yeah, of like a, yeah, technical so, school. Yeah, so so Sam. Uh, uh, was from a school like that and was looking for an internship. I said, you want to help? He said, yeah. And Sam definitely didn't know anything. He was like uh -huh. first year, but you know, just excited to, to work. And then a month later, uh, Yano, which is, uh, which is a kid that, that uh, basically 
we had, uh, he interned with us three years earlier and um, he was doing his last year of intern and he came back to us and asked, hey, uh, can I come back? And Yano was basically very green when he left us. And by the uh-huh. time he came back to us, you know, years later, he was just very, just a great carpenter, you know? So he'd been out in the world for a couple of years and picked yeah, up some exactly. things. Yeah, so he, he did it. He did his last year with us as an intern, and he he, he and I basically built the boat uh, together. So we put the whole uh, hull, uh, uh, you know, we planked the hull together. So uh, I would, uh, he would work uh, six days a week. He would work five days a week uh, um, by himself during the day. I would work usually after he left during the uh-huh. week. I would work a couple of hours every every afternoon, and then Saturday. I know your work day, right? Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And then Saturdays we do twelve to fourteen hours, him and I. And then where you know the kids, my kids were still young, but they if they, uh-huh. if they had time, they would they would help us out also. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, you know, we got that uh, we got got the hull done, and uh, you know, it's again, it's a learning curve. And then we we finally get the glass the hull now i'd never glassed anything you know nothing you know none of us had, had done it and so now we're gonna fiberglass two layers of fiberglass on a hull and so uh i believe that was i want to say we started so this is like phase two yeah we're actually building the hull and yeah the hull the hull goes pretty quick i think we started it in september and we were ready to glass it like on New Year's Day or something like that, you know. So right. the hull goes yeah, it's fast. Yeah. So in your hull, your boat is a cold molded boat, which for people that don't know what that is, uh, most boats, most custom boats are built that way these days. And so you explain what is cold molded mean? What what is a cold molded hull? So what you have is you have a jig. So it's a CNC uh, cut jig, and then basically you you plank on top of that jig we decided to put three layers of uh, plywood, 45 degree angles every time. So we put three layers uh, of that on. And that's just a, that's just a process of patience. You know, you're, you're constantly gluing layer on top of uh, layer. Every single layer needs to, you know, I've, I don't know if you've ever seen those pictures where the, the, there's like a thousand washers all over the boat and a bunch of, you know, a thousand screws because everything is literally glued there's there's nothing in that boat that's been that's being held together with screws everything you if you screw it in you let that yeah you let everything uh cure and you you bring it back out so once we were done with the uh with the with the fiberglassing and the fiberglassing you know was pretty neat also so we got i think we were 18 people so we did a fiberglass party so oh wow! <laughs> we invited as many people that that are, were willing uh, to to work, and uh, we uh, I had two cameras set up and with speakers. And Mark would uh, would be he was designing behind his computer, and anytime he heard us stress, he would call us and walk us through it. You know, that's awesome. So, Mark really uh, had a big big hand in helping you guys out there. Huh? Yeah, definitely. That's so great. That was a for. At least twelve of us. That was like a fourteen-hour workday to get that that whole fiberglass, two layers of fiberglass. If we were were to do it today, I think the six of us could do it in eight hours. That's yeah, how well, much 
how much better we got at it. You First time is always the hardest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> First so, is a little tricky. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> once, once we got the, uh, the hull glassed in, it took us seven months to fare the hull. Like I'd always heard how difficult fairing was. Now, of course there's a learning curve. So uh-huh. I'd never fared before, but, um, that is just what is fairing. So explain what fairing okay. is exactly. So, so basically, what, once you've got the uh, the hull completely laminated and and it's perfectly smooth and and you're ready f- to glass, you you basically have a perfect surface to work on. You know, mm-hmm. as soon as you put the fiberglass on, where you have overlaps, where you have uh, you know, you name it, little imperfections in your fiberglass that all comes up. So basically you have a very rough hull. So what you, you end up having to do is, um, is a let, let's for people to understand it better. You're basically body filling and bonding the boat, but you're not using a polyester bondo. You're using an epoxy bondo, you know? So right, right. That's, that's called fairing compound. So basically what you're doing is you're, you know, the first, you put the first layer in, basically you, you're, you're trying to find all your high spots. You're trying to, you're trying not to fare and fill beyond your high spot, you know, because otherwise you're going to end up with a giant, you know, uh, gook of, of, of <laughs> that you're just building up. So, so you're, you're putting as, as little fairing compound mm-hmm. on it as possible, you know, let that cure the next day you come in with long boards, you know, we had for the bottom of the hall, we had a longboard where four people would longboard it. Longboarding is basically a giant uh, board. It's literally what it is, a long board with a piece of sandpaper board. on it. Yeah, and you're <laughs> just you're just sanding, you know, okay? Yeah. Uh, 10 times to the left, you know, at a 45-degree angle. 10 times to the right at a 45-degree angle. And then, uh, you know, and you just keep on doing that till, till basically – you you run into fiberglass again because then you know you've hit a high spot and then whatever is still that you didn't sand has to be fared again and and that's just oh my lord that is the like it's 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 so difficult I it's find definitely the most tedious process by far yes. i mean yeah. just when we did the mezzanine on on euphoria like together with you and I felt like it was fair and sand, fair and sand for like two weeks straight just to get it perfectly smooth. And you have to get it perfectly smooth. So when you paint it, you get that mirror, beautiful finish. And otherwise you'll see like the sun, when the sun hits it right, and you look at the reflection, you'll see waves in it. And it's amazing. People don't realize how much work goes into building these boats. And that's just really something I wanted to point out. I mean, it's a lot of work to make everything so perfect and beautiful. And yeah. fairing is massive part of that. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it's funny because when you first, you know, again, it, it was our first build. So when we first started the fairing process, you know, we have measuring cups and we, you know, measuring all the fairing compound perfectly. And, uh, and you come up with lingos. I need a four. So, you know, <laughs> people knew exactly what you needed, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, uh, two months into it, you don't even need to measure anything because you've you've made so much fairing compound two months into it that you know exactly how to mix it. It's a one-to-one ratio, but you don't need to measure it to anything. They, we just knew, you know, 
And then you end up uh, starting to experiment with other farin compounds. So Alex Seal came out came up with uh, with a, a, a much smoother farin compound. It was the, we started out, out with the uh, two hundred two, then we went to two twelve, then we went to two twelve um, uh, fast uh, uh, cure, which was awesome because that was all. That's what we used, wasn't it? That was yeah. amazing. So, if you fare by 10 o'clock, especially in our Caribbean weather, you fare by 10 o'clock, by two o'clock, you can be sanding already. You yeah, know? I think we were doing three a day just to speed yeah. up the process. Yeah. <laughs> I was, yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, you would come before work and help me knock it out real quick. And then I would do a middle day and you come back into work, help me knock yeah. out more. <laughs> so, so those are all things that we learned over time. So while we were, you know, uh, faring, Mark and I would, uh, spend our evenings um, working on on the the house. Basically, you know, we had a we had a house design, and some things that we changed, and we had to recalculate the weight and balance. We had a uh, hundred less gallons of fuel in the in the boat, but I wanted more fuel, so we had another hundred gallons. So we had one center tank. We ended up getting two saddle tanks. Okay. So I gave up one uh, fish box and I, it, it works perfectly for what we're doing. I, I really like having the fuel because that means uh, if, if we ever do trade long trips, you know, we can, we can do Curacao Grenada straight. We can do Curacao DR straight. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about actually. Um, so you're about a year in at this point where the haul is to the point where it's fared. Perfect. Well, okay. Yeah. So you're a year in, you started said four months to, until you got done glass and would you say eight months for um fairing and, and sanding yeah. and fairing and sanding over and over again so you're at flip day no no seven months seven months so okay so yeah almost yeah, yeah yeah so before we get into flip day which i would say is a phase all on its own we'll call that phase three what i want to ask is like you just started talking a little bit about it, but what are the key features that you wanted in your boat like why did you choose you wanted a 40 foot downy style and then all the little things that you add on, we can touch on this more as we go into it, but why did you choose you wanted like a downy style sport fisher and at 40 foot and you knew you want to be economical. Like you, you obviously were building it for Curacao, but did you have plans to travel and what did you really want to get out of the boat? Why did you build it the way you build it? 40 foot is because that's, that's all that fits in my warehouse. Not a, not a <laughs> so that, that was it. I, I could go 40 foot because I, otherwise I wouldn't have room to, to work. So that, that right. the, the length was, was limited by, um, by my warehouse space. Why the down Eastern? It sounds so silly, but my wife and I love to watch the show um, Wicked Tuna. I just love watching <laughs> that. Show. So I kind of fell in love with, with the fact that everyone's inside, everyone's together and you're completely protected from the elements. So I, I, wanted, I wanted that. Um, a bridge boat would have been also very difficult for me to realize is because um, I built the boat about six miles from a place to put her in the water, meaning I had a maximum height to that I could build the boat. Otherwise, I couldn't get underneath all the power. Oh, I, that makes sense. I didn't even think about that. So you'd have had yeah. to like move it somewhere near the water and then put the bridge on if you were to build a bridge boat. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Which is so a that, whole other problem that you yeah, don't need. 
Yeah. So that was, that was another limitation. So um, honestly, if, if I was going to do a bridge boat, I didn't want to do a, a bridge boat with a little tower. Then I, I'd like a proper bridge because I, I just can't imagine me sitting up there all day by myself in that tiny little tower. And, and, you know, because part of fishing is you want to hang out, you know? Yeah. Well, like you said too, you're, you're short crewed a lot. So you kind of having a bridge boat, you have to have that one extra crew. I mean, it's really difficult. You you need three to four people all the time really to do it right. Where down Easter, you can almost, the way you set yours up, you, Chris also has a, uh, a helm station in the cockpit. He literally can fish by himself if he wants to. It's really cool setup. So yeah. Perfect for what for you wanted. Yeah. So, so, and then another thing I really uh, wanted to do is because my wife doesn't, she's not really a boater. She's definitely not a fisherman. She loves going to the beach. She loves uh, hanging out. She tolerates all the crazy stuff I do. I mean, I've <laughs> her into going on sea trials and going fishing. And, and you guys have a lot of great spots there, like to go beach it with the boat. I mean, Klein Curacao is really actually gorgeous i yes. mean yeah i don't know if people there realize that they have it. it's really great and even all the places along you know the southwest side there like it's a bunch of great little hidden gems yeah. and great yeah. i mean i love it i love it there yeah so we've we've done so far we've only done one proper family trip which is uh, we went to bonaire with the family so me my wife my two kids and davis's uh, girlfriend and, um, you know, uh, uh, Shanice, Davis's girlfriend doesn't like, it's like, she gets seasick. Um, that's a bummer. Yeah. Davis, uh, ha- has to take, uh, you know, Dramamine or something because he just doesn't feel right. My, my wife, all she wants to do once the boat's moving is sleep, which, and then having the, that down Eastern type boat is everyone's in in that cabin in that salon so everyone's basically sleeping on the floor i'm driving air conditioning is just blasting everyone's got their their pillows got their blankets and everyone's just sleeping you know so no one's uncomfortable so on the way to bonaire that's a 45 mile uh, run i promised everyone because it was just head seas i promised <laughs> everyone we're not fishing so yeah right yeah, we didn't. We didn't. On the way there, we didn't. So I told him, coming back, coming back, it's we're going down sea. We're gonna fish. So uh so I uh I put the boat on autopilot, put the boat down sea and uh heading to Curacao. And I just sat in the cockpit with my binoculars and uh as we're getting close to little Curacao, I ran into a bunch of birds and caught like I think it was four Mahi, you know. So, uh, <laughs> but it was perfect because they could just sleep in the, in the salon, you know, Yeah, down sea is a piece of cake. I mean, it's, yeah. it's comfortable. It's actually rocks to sleep. It's great. Yeah. I love, yeah. love traveling down sea. Yeah. Hence the so, name so, of tackle company fish down sea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Always, always get more bites and it's way more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, that was definitely something I wanted the family to be close together. I didn't want somebody on the bridge. And then the rest downstairs, because I, I, I really want to travel with the boat. Maybe in October, well, I'll try to go to Bonaire for a week, maybe fish a tournament there. But I really, I wanted something where every, the whole family would be together, you know, and okay. comfortable and dry. And that's, that's so important to me. You know, I, I don't want people getting salt spray on them, especially 
like my wife that that she's just it's it's not her thing you know she loves right. the, loves boating but 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 traveling and stuff it's not her thing so i wanted it to be comfortable at least for her you know yeah and, traveling and on a boat in the caribbean pretty can be pretty brutal it, yeah it, it can be rough <laughs> bad yeah. bad rough and it's yeah. choppy rough it's not swell it's chop yes big tall chop <laughs> so th that was that was definitely so a prerequisite was uh Comf comfort interior not getting wet definitely a prerequisite what's your range is that you, you mentioned going to like grenada or st lucia or maybe even columbia at some point like, what is your range now you know your boat really well how far you talk about wanting more fuel what how much fuel do you hold i hold uh 265 in the front and 230 in the back can you make it to Grenada? So Grenada oh, yeah. from you can, yeah. Right. Uh, Grenada to Cures has four hundred. Yeah, oh, yeah. Four sixty, uh, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Because I just did it last year. <laughs> yeah. I was looking at my notes. But I think you're right. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. I think it was low fours, like four and twenty-five. I think something like okay. that. But um, yeah, but yeah, yeah either way, it's a, it's a long trip. Yeah, I've I've done uh, test trips where I've even run. You know, not just uh, um, uh, trolling, but I've, where I've run, where where on a full fuel tank, I've gone over 500 miles. So I know oh, I know wow. I range to to do it. Yeah, wow, it's very that's thing, really impressive range for a 40 foot boat. Yeah, but the only thing is, um, my my chug speed is seven and a half to eight knots. I don't, I can't get it to ten knots. So that kind of yeah, that hurts. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. You know, just trolling the whole way yeah exactly exactly <laughs> what it's, are you going to grenada what's your plan yeah yeah well it it's it, 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 once once things get settled but the fishing's been so good here you know yeah and, it, uh, it is hard I, to leave but it's yeah. really good there too i mean yeah look at and then this is that's actually where chris and i met we met at the uh spice island billfish tournament um fished that together on the little exile way back when 2013 maybe yeah yeah and yeah. It just you came back quite a bit after that, and we had some epic fishing there. It's oh, so awesome, definitely. definitely. Yeah. Great place, great place. But so is Curacao. I mean, you're you're yeah. you've been proving that <laughs> it's yeah. definitely a very good fishery there, and it's fun to watch and hear like how you do and kind of figuring out what the the quote unquote season is because it seems like you have a year round fishery. It doesn't it seem like you catch a blue marlin there any day of the year. You just never know. Oh. Without a question, Ricky. Without yeah. a question. And we are on sailfish. I mean, yeah. and I think our neighboring island, Bonaire, has an even better fishery. Yeah, nobody's fishing it. No one's fishing Crazy. it, and I think I think it's even better because yeah. uh, you know uh, one of the things that I find so interesting is that uh, we I don't remember the year, but uh, we fished a tournament where we released a white marlin in that tournament and tagged it. Exactly a year later, to the day that same tournament, another boat caught our tagged white marlin. That's so pretty that, wild. Yeah, that kind of proves that uh, you know the white marlin at least coming back every year, or or they're just residential. You know? Well, some along those lines, there's a boat in Ocean City, Maryland. I think it was like three years ago, called Fishbone. Maybe it was four years ago. It was right before COVID, but they tagged one during our like you know September, like really good white marlin fishing uh, time of the year. And I think it was, so it was September, 
think it was the next March of the following year, it was caught by an artisan fisherman. So, I mean, it was killed, but it was caught in Grenada. So, I mean, those, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so, that's that eight months, nine months later, it was caught in Grenada. And, I mean, it was killed, unfortunately, but they got tagged. It just shows like how far these fish really do travel in their loop. Like, that fish was starting to make it probably make his loop back up through the Bahamas and, you yeah. know, through DR, Bahamas, maybe back up. Who knows? I mean, I really don't. Uh, that's something I want to learn more of. But, yeah. uh, it's pretty cool, but anyway, I mean, I'll get back to the build here. Got a yes. little off topic. It's hard not to talk about fishing, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so let's go back to phase three, the, the flip day. How nervous were you flipping the hall? Oh, that, that was, uh, I couldn't get a, a crane driver to flip it for me. That, that was uh, part number one. They, they were like, <laughs> you're out of your mind. What are you doing? You know, so. <laughs> It's like, well, if you watch social media and watch all these boat builders, they do it a couple times a year. <laughs> yeah. So finally, I convinced some guy by showing him, believe it or not, YouTube videos of Paul Mann, Bayless flipping boats. You know, I said, um, it's easy. We can do it. So <laughs> it's uh, easy. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the flip day comes and uh, get everything ready. And um, we, you know, basically the, the crane is doing its thing, doing its thing. And then finally, okay, the crane driver says, okay, I got good tension on it. Now I'm going to, I'm going to basically pull her up. Now what, what we didn't realize is, you know, we had been fiberglassing also while the boat was upside down, we fiberglass the inside of the hull also, because I said, if we're going to flip this thing, I want to make sure it's completely glassed in. So it's nice. Solid. It's solid. So part of the, so we had, you know, unscrewed all the jigs and, and everything. But what had ended up happening because we we're fiberglassing so much, a whole bunch of epoxy had landed on the, on the jig and the jig was kind of glued to the floor. So as, <laughs> he's, pulling, as he's pulling that boat up, Ricky, all of a sudden you hear just, just awful noise, like the hull cracked in two. I thought for sure the boat it was over. It, it was just... <laughs> It was just the crane pulling the jig off of the floor, you know. But the at least hull, they ripped the floor up too with it. Yeah, the the the, <laughs> the boat was in per. I mean, perfect, perfect condition. It it's unbelievable how strong plywood, epoxy, and fiberglass is. It is unbelievably strong. It is crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> there's there's no give, you know. It's just right. it's just what it is. You know, and and also the fact that that fiberglass and that that epoxy cured for, you know, eight months before we flipped it. So it was basically steel. And then another, and then right. you had that, those layers of uh, farin compound, which is also an epoxy base. It's basically, right. you know, it, it's so it's so hard, you know, so. So we flipped that boat and, and, oh, everyone was so happy. You know, it was like, <laughs> all right. We, here we you know, go. Next, yeah, here we go. Next phase. You know? All right. So phase four. Yeah. Putting so the phase, rest of it together. So normally, what, in order to, to speed up the build process, you would build the house somewhere else and then drop the house on top of the, the boat. Right. Um, we didn't have any room to do that. So basically what we did was we built a, a scaffolding above the hull and we basically built the floor above the hull and built our house above it. 
So there was a, that uh, on the weekends, uh, the more, the more um, people would see that this thing might actually work, the more people <laughs> would come in on a Saturday and just help. So at certain points, I had two crews going, you know, I had a crew going in, in the, uh, in, in, on the inside of the hall, fairing the inside of the hall, while another crew's putting the, the house together, you know? So That's that, awesome. That was really cool. That was really cool. Another thing, another definite prerequisite for me was I was going to give up room space, salon space, cockpit space, all kinds of space for my six foot three, 220 pound body to be able to fit in the engine room. You know, there's, uh, there's one true. thing I one thing I can't stand is going in, in into a 40 foot boat where you can't get everywhere around that engine room, you know? And yeah, it's, it's and, very, very important to have room to get around your engines and generators. To, yeah. It's going to break and you, you got to be able to get to it. Yeah. So, so we, that's definitely a prerequisite in our design and we achieved that also. I, I can basically get to, to every part of that, uh, of those engines. Actually, so, along those lines, like if you are to break down in Curacao, I know you guys do have a co-star there, but. Is anybody coming to help you or are you better off calling friends and praying that their boats are running to come get you? Like, no, there's, there's a great volunteer, uh, uh, coast guard. Uh, so you have the regular coast guard, but then uh -huh. you have something called Citro, which is the volunteer coast guard, let's say. Okay. And, um, and they're great. They're great. They, they, That's they awesome. might take, I didn't know yeah, that. They might, yeah. They might take a little bit of time to get out there, but they're coming for you, you know? And, you know, you have it also, the little in-reach satellite communicator. Yeah. So important to have, you know, Absolutely. if you're offshore, you want to be able to communicate with people. It's a no-brainer. So inexpensive and so easy to use. Yeah. 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 Um, well, back to the build. Um, you're building the house. Like, At what point did you already have the engines and have them going in before you're building your house? Or how did no, that all no. process go? Now, so um, the, the getting the engines was also that took 18 months from, oh, wow. order, yeah, from ordering the engines to actually receiving the engines um, because I specifically wanted six BTAs. I've done all kinds of research. Asked Which all, are Cummins, correct? The Cummins, yeah. uh, old, old, old school engines, mechanical engines, proven engines. Um, parts available at, at any drugstore or grocery store, you know, it, it's just, <laughs> it's, there's so many parts. And, uh, so, so we, I really wanted that and to source six BTAs is just so difficult. And it took, it took a long time to, uh, to get those sourced. Wow. So, yeah. So we built everything got everything, uh, uh, built and I, there, there always had to be a contingency plan of, okay, let's say something happens five, 10 years from, from now, and I need to get an engine out. So basically in my salon, I have two giant hatches that I can open and the engines fit through those hatches. That's number one. But in order to get them out of the boat, all I have to do is remove my radar, cut a hole on top of the uh, salon roof, and the end, I can bring the engines right through the salon roof. It's so much easier than cutting that. That's the, another bulkhead. Yeah. Another advantage of not having a bridge boat is you can get to shit from, from <laughs> upstairs. You know, you, 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 you're not limited to, to that. So the bulkhead would have been just, you know, so much more difficult because 
um, the engines really don't fit through the, through the doorway. I'd have to cut the bulkhead out, but pieces of glass also. So I, I made the decision just to do it from on top. And yeah, and having been on your boat, you really don't want to make that doorway any bigger because then you're losing a lot of mezzanine space yes. and interior space, like bench space. So it's kind of, you don't have any other options. So that makes sense. So what, so while planning this whole process, you, you know, every now and then think ahead for sure. Yeah. You're trying to think, you know, ahead. it's coming. <laughs> yeah. And you're also, you're also, um, you know, every night before you go to bed, you're, you're thinking, how am I going to do this? And one of the things that I was so nervous about Ricky was lining the engines because, you know, you, you, you have these, these, these beautiful drawings made by, by Neva architects and they tell you your shaft supposed to be, you know, 32.8 inches uh, long and, and uh, you know, and everything is supposed to, supposed to fit perfectly. And coming out of the, the, the custom home building industry, net, you're building everything by hand and nothing is, nothing, you don't have any molds or jigs you're working on. Everything's done with a tape measure. And as you're building a home, there's all kinds of, you know, I, I would say if 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 you're a half inch off, you're happy, you know, when you're building right. a, a giant home. What I didn't realize is because you're building off of a jig in this boat, you really can't make mistakes. So once I put the engines in and because it was all 3D modeled, Mark and I actually knew exactly where the engine mounts would go. They, we were off less than a 16th. From, oh, from, wow. And that was just fiberglass. That 16th was in the fiberglass and fairing compound, you know? So right. basically everything was just perfect. You know, we, we set the, the, uh, uh, the motor mounts in, set everything in, double checked the, the, the specs on the shaft before I ordered the shaft, but the, it was perfect because everything lined up where it needed to uh, line up. And that's also the great advantage of, of building a boat using a jig because you can't not, you know, it's hard to screw up because you're right, right. building on well, the most crucial parts at least yes. are, are laid out for you. The rest of it's kind of up to you. Yeah. But yeah. at least like, you know, you, you can go with confidence going in when you build a jig boat, you know, cold motor, yeah. cold motor, cold molded jig boat. And it's gonna yeah. work out, work out and line up well. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I thought that the lining of engines was going to be a bear and, and Davis and I, my son, we we did both engines in half a day, you know. It, it, oh wow, yeah, that's it, incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem I it, there. I thought it was going to be so much more difficult, but you know, again, many many nights where you go to bed thinking about, okay, how I'm going to do it, and you basically have a plan formed and hope it works, and it worked just perfectly. So that that was really cool, also. So when I got down there, you pretty much you had the house on. I think you already kind of did. You already have primer. You already kind of painted the boat at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When but you, there's still a lot of finish work. How, how long were you in the build process at that point? Two and a half years, I guess. Oh, I don't remember, Ricky. I mean, it, it had been a while. Yeah. And I said, well, "Hey, uh, I'm working on something with Barry. I'm gonna get his boat, and we're gonna retrofit it." Yeah. <laughs> You're like, "Oh, yeah, cool. I'll help you." And then. I get there and everything was chaotic and you dropped everything to help me, which I couldn't have done it without you. And it was kind of the same thing. A lot of people pitched in. You had 
a lot of people pitched in and you know even Barry like pitched in as much as he could it was it was cool it was a lot of fun you know 14 hour days every day but yeah um yeah. you pretty much put your whole boat build on hold at that point for you know we'd spent I guess four months yeah, working on yeah. nonstop. Yeah. And did a lot of work. I mean, was that were you kinda happy that that happened? Did that help you kind of figure out what you wanted to do for your finish? Because most of it was finished work at well, the end. Well, one one of the things that, that was so cool was that Erica uh, you know, who ended up coming in about halfway through the through the project. Uh, um also, yeah, she was great. Yeah, she she learned how to put a teak deck in. And she basically did my teak deck. Like, oh, like, nice. Yeah. I, she knew what she was doing. Once in a while, she would ask me questions, but she put in that teak deck basically by herself, you know? Yeah, she, she was on it with me. It was just like, a, she was all I needed there at the end. We were flying yeah. through it. It was a piece yeah. of cake. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that, was, that was really, really, really cool. Yeah. So the other, the other big milestone is, so the bow was completely primed. Uh, no teak, uh, had the engines installed, had the generator installed, a lot of the wiring was done. Um, didn't have the house batteries or anything. I think you're um, still waiting on the ISA boost too, which is really heavy. So, like, weight distribution was that something that you guys could figure out via design, or did you just kind of have to piece it together no, as you went? Via design, via design, okay. so weight, weight and, and balance is what it's called, and uh, so. Um, halfway through the build, or let's call it halfway through the build, boats and primer, um, got the engines in, got everything in. We're, we're going to basically mark the water line. And we put her in the water, completely white, you know, just primer on it. And uh, I cried that day, Ricky, because, because <laughs> we, we put her in the water and I'd always heard that it's it's so difficult to calculate weight and balance that either she she she's a little forward heavy, back heavy, or a little to the a little list. Know, or, or it, it's never perfect. You hear a lot of the lead bean bags and custom boats from back in the day. I mean, it got much better with that now, but like, oh yeah, yeah. let's just add like five hundred pounds of weight to this exactly. offset it. It's just yeah. not not the way you want to do it. Yeah. So the crane drops the boat and she's just laying perfect. And I, I look at the crane driver. I go, just drop her. He's like, listen, she's floating. And I kept, <laughs> looking, I kept on looking and, and, and I got so emotional that she actually laid perfect. You know, that's really cool. It was so cool. It was. How'd so you cool. mark the water line? You just jump in and take a Sharpie across like, the water yeah, line? So the, the first thing, so um arti my buddy he owns uh, a napa here or he, i guess all the napas here in curacao and so i borrowed a whole bunch of uh d4 d4 is the big one or is the d8 the big one what battery batteries d8 right yeah yeah so i borrowed a whole bunch of d8 batteries from him to basically mimic the 8, 8d called 8d but yeah 8D to mimic the, uh, the, the weight of my house batteries. So the kids and I, you know, we, we go uh, just anchor up the boat at a place called Ski Plus, which is flat calm. And basically that day we, we just moved batteries around till she sat perfect. Once she sat just, just perfect, just grabbed a, uh, 
basically a crayon. Oh, okay, crayon. All right, that makes sense. And just marked marked the boat, and then we took measurements also from the um, from the spray rail up. So we we had the crayon and the measurements, and that's basically how we marked the waterline. And then so we knew where the waterline was. We knew where we wanted to, you know, put the the bootstripe. So you know, that's that's how we did it. Just old school. Put her in the water, and 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 and. But again, <laughs> again, Ricky. We were off by maybe a quarter inch, according to the 3D model. Again, the way. Oh wow, man, that's, that's really awesome. Yeah, yeah. It, hey, it, by the way, speaking of batteries, yeah, it, who put that 8D battery up on my bridge for electronics? Was that I your did. idea? Yeah. yeah oh yeah. my god, I had to replace that thing the other day. It's <laughs> I went upstairs and I opened up because I was like troubleshooting a radar problem that I have right now. And I smelled rotten eggs. I was like, oh, God. So I like, turned off the charger and ran the test, and it was done for. So I got to pull it out. Like, holy crap, I forgot how heavy these things are. Anyway, moving around. Like, shit, how am I getting this thing down? <laughs> so I took a rope, wrapped it around the railing, and I, like, basically pulley system it down. But I was like, how am I going to get this back up? Like, it, I forgot how heavy they were, and I took it to the um, Lauderdale battery here, and like, by the way, how heavy are these batteries? Like, 172 pounds. Like, holy crap, no wonder I can't carry it that easily. So I was like, all right, I'm definitely getting help getting it back up there. So we did get it back up there, put it in, and I had to switch from gel to AGM. It was, it's impossible to get a hold of gel batteries right now. But Oh, really? Yeah, change the charger. I mean, the charger is easy to change. Yeah. But uh, it just is, I was like, oh, my God. I don't, I'm stick yeah, with the good stuff. <laughs> so yeah, I don't have to change it for five years. And your boat, you have to have that that big battery because everything in your boat's twenty four except your electronics up there. So you need that that twelve volt battery up there. Yeah, know? it's just easier. It is easier doing it that way for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm fine with it. Just like, oh my god, it's not something you gotta do too often. So, but no. I was just like, oh my god, like I there was like lunch break at the marina, and I'm like by myself. I was like, oh, I really want to just get this in the car now. Almost killed myself. <laughs> I was going to try to carry it down a ladder. I was like, "This is not going to happen." There's no way. There's no <laughs> way. You know what's cool about because I remember when I changed that battery, it was uh, exactly ten years ago this month because it was right before the 50th anniversary Curacao Yacht Club tournament, and I didn't want to have any failures uh, uh, in that tournament. Right. So and the battery was out up i said we're changing it so that gel battery did 10 years that's not bad wow yeah i didn't even look at the date on it but yeah. i knew it was getting close i've changed every battery in the boat except for that so i was like eh yeah i'll i'll deal with it when i splash in may but right now there's too many other things on my plate but it was working fine you know everything was running but uh you know it's all run on charger so i might as well do it now get it right yeah but um <laughs> yeah it's, i was like oh my gosh well so you got the boat finished, like through the whole process, how did you learn new things, new techniques like that you've never used before that you needed in order to be like to be prepared for certain parts of the build? Like, how did you learn who helped you the most? And, and did you just learn by just doing it or did you do a lot of research before you did stuff? Or um, both? Mark is an angel. Mark Shales from Envy Boats. Most patient man that that I've ever met. We became very good friends. If he didn't know the answer, he would get the answer for me. 
I would read religiously uh, instruction manuals. Like I, I know that Alex Seal, or I used to know the Alex Seal instruction manual. Exactly. I could tell you everything. I could tell you temperature, uh, tip sizes. I just, you know, basically I stopped reading any books and read instruction manuals and followed the instruction manuals to the, to the teeth. You know, what was the hardest part of the build for you? Like what was the number one hardest thing to master for you? Like was the painting, was it the fiberglass, was it painting? And I still suck at it. Got it out. <laughs> that's the hardest thing i just i'm not i just can't do it i just can't do it so so the only thing i did not do on that boat because i i can't and i wasn't willing to learn and i don't want to learn is weld so the engine mounts are the only thing i did not build myself okay. everything else i did myself so any any steel work on that boat which was basically only the engine mounts yeah um, you so, have no tower no tower leg or anything so yeah yeah, so everything. So, w but without a doubt, Ricky, the, the, the hardest part for me is getting that mirror finished. And I went through, I mean, there's so many coats that I blew paint on that boat. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a learning process also. You know, it, I never sprayed anything in my life except for, you know, a little spray can. It's, yeah, a little different, a little different process. So, so another resource, it sounds so silly, but Paul Mann's website is the greatest like resource for a novice boat builder. So basically he has uh, all his boat builds and uh, the earlier boats, he doesn't have too many pictures of the build process, but as the, as he, you know, he started building more boats, especially the last, I would say five years, all his boat, there's got to be thousands and thousands of pictures of the boat building process. No, so from start to finish. From start to finish. And anytime I wasn't sure, like, how do I start this, this part of it? How would, how, how would Paul Mann do it? I would spend hours going through pictures. Like, <laughs> oh, that's interesting, you know? And, and it, but it's, it's a way to learn, you know? Absolutely. From, from one of the best in, in the industry, you know? And you definitely build, build some great boats. I mean, I, I loved XL yeah. 65. It was a phenomenal boat. You know all about that. You fish on it funny with oh, me, so. Yeah, yeah. Great yeah. boat all around, well-built, yeah. every little detail. Yeah, so, so it, it, it's funny because the XL 65 is also the boat where I decided to do Teak and Holly countertops. Teak okay. and Holly uh, interior uh, uh, soles because that the Paul the sixty five had that you know yeah so I, gorgeous the, all the boat at boats had fished on over the years I would pick up little little nuggets my my uh, Aaron takes on the side of the boat that's a direct copy from uh, from Euphoria all right you know the the, the three yeah the, it's kind of like <laughs> the old Monterey Jim Smith style kind of kind of deal. They yeah. work really good. I mean, a lot of that engine room got a lot of ventilation. It yeah. Makes it yeah. yours and mine. I mean, it, it really does work well and it's above the rub rail, which makes it even better. Yes. You know, yeah. Less, less water getting in there. Yeah. And then, um, uh, you know, I built a little pocket. So if water get, got in there, I would catch it in a gutter, you know, uh -huh. so I've, I've got, you know, again, just looking and, and, jumping on the internet and asking questions. That's, that's, and, and Mark, Mark is just the greatest resource, you know, 
He and, definitely and, loves what he does. I mean, he, oh, he helped yeah. me out a ton. Yeah. He just, just from the, like, had that whole design. I was like, I don't really need a 3D model of this. And you're like, Ricky, just spend the money and do it. And that was the best advice you ever have given me. And he mocked it up and actually gave me he, his idea. Of, you know, I didn't originally have the S curve in, and he gave me the idea to do the S curve. He just sent it to me. He was like, what do you think of this? He just likes to play with that stuff and he's really good at it. And yeah. We like play with all kinds of stuff and it was cool to bounce a lot of ideas off of him. And he, he definitely loves it. So yeah, yeah. Mark and Emmy boats. Anybody wants to try to build their own boat i'd recommend them for sure Absolutely. very helpful yeah and yeah. cool design he's great at design and he works with you well yeah and then you know like uh i i wanted to know about transducer what's the best transducer oh i got a guy you know and you the next thing you know it's the you know it's the regional uh technical guy from uh, airmar that's Airmar, yeah you know <laughs> That's oh, the guy. <laughs> and then and then uh next thing oh listen i, I need some tips on uh, on how to uh spray uh spray my my boat you know yeah and, uh, okay hold on i've got a guy next thing you're you're on the phone with like the best uh you know marine painter i think think this guy actually painted jeruco the 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 guy i spoke uh spoke. okay yeah. So, you know, that's, that's really cool. He's got all the resources you can talk to, to the best, you know, so that that's really cool. And he, he's done quite a bit of it all himself too. So yeah. good, yeah. good source of knowledge all around. Yes. Yeah. What was your favorite part like of the whole boat building process? What was your favorite part of all of it? Like, what did you enjoy the most or was it just everything about it? The whole process, Ricky, the whole process when I, when the boat was in the water and I was done building, um, I missed it so much. I missed the build process. That's why like people think I'm a little crazy because every Saturday, if I'm not fishing, I'm doing something on that boat. You know, I've done <laughs> so many upgrades since she's been in the water. You know, I'm always, hey, we can do that. Oh, we can do that. You know, I'm constantly tinkering with, uh, with the boat, you know? I just that was actually my next question. Like now that she's been done for almost two years and you've been fishing a lot, do you really miss the boat building process or are you just happy that you have this boat to fish or is it you love both the same? I, I, I definitely love fishing more, but I, I miss the boat building process. But but the fact that there's there's always something to do on a boat and improvements, you know, there's there's a lot of things that that I thought I wanted to do a certain way that, that later on I said, ah, oh, that was wrong. And I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go out of my way to, to correct it. You know, my, the, the whole way I had my fuel transfer pump and, and fuel lines run, it just wasn't efficient. It wasn't an easy way to prime my, uh, my, my engines. It, it just, it just wasn't, it, I, it, in order to prime my engines, I, it, it was like a 10 minute process, you know? So oh, now wow. I set it up that it's literally one valve, one button, and I'm done, you know? Oh, nice. So, yeah. It, you know, the 6 BTA has that little hand pump. You yeah, can hand pump they out. all have those. They're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. actually, the ones on my Cat 3412s are pretty good. Yeah, now these BTA are no, no. You can pump for an hour. Ain't <laughs> starting that engine. Nothing's gonna happen. No. So, so that's that's definitely an, uh, something I changed. Um, which I'm. But so you happy. need that. You need that year or two. Like any new boat, even like straight out of the factory or straight off 
you know, being done in the custom boat build yard, like you need a year or two to one, make it yours and two, make it right. Like they don't just pop out. Right. I mean, you buy a brand new boat and it can be totally wrong and you yeah. still got to make a lot of adjustments. I mean, it, just cause you yeah. bought a new boat, you can't expect the world. Yeah. You, know, you still got to have knowledge. Yeah. Two weeks ago, I installed a oil change pump, which I thought, Oh, small engines, you know, it's, it's only 15 quarts of oil. No matter what I did, Ricky, anytime I changed that oil, my <laughs> engine room was covered in oil. You know, I can't no believe you didn't do that. Yeah. I, I, when you told, I didn't know that you didn't put an oil exchange. But that's like, I mean, okay, for a generator, maybe you can get away without it, but it's still nice to have on a generator. Oh. It's just so quick and seamless. The, the, other day, <laughs> the other day, I changed the oil on my generator. It, I did it in 20 minutes after work. You know, it was just mm. and the engine room was still spotless, you know, not a drip of oil anywhere. You know, that, that, that <laughs> made me so happy. I mean, the only thing about that Kohler generator, which I think is still stupid, because no matter what you do, that oil filter is horizontal. So no matter what you do, it, it, oil's going to get somewhere. But but just if you have enough pig rags, you're, you're it's good not that bad. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't mind that so much, but yeah, it would be nice if it wasn't like that, but yeah, what are you going to do? I mean, even on my engines, for some reason, like sometimes I get some back pressure and like I'll, after I change them, like after I run the boat, it'll, I'll pop it open and it just goes everywhere. I'm like, oh, come on. Like at that point, it doesn't matter if it was sideways or not. So. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> but what are you going to do? But I mean. Along the lines of like the whole process, like if you were, if somebody wanted to build their own boat, like, like you did, even like, they don't have to go that crazy. Like say they want to build like a 20 foot center console. What would be like your three biggest recommendations to them? Like anything that you learn, or it doesn't have to be three, whatever you feel that would be helpful for people to, that do want to, our DIY guys like you and have the means and the capability to build their own boat. What would you, what advice would you give them? Spend the money on a good naval architect. Make sure that running surface is perfect because you could have the most beautiful boat. And if you don't have a proper running surface and weight and balance, you're just wasting your money and your time. I, I think that's, that's the, the, one of the best investments I did was to hire the naval architect and have them um, uh, really just give me a proper running uh, surface. That, 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 that is the number one advice. Number two, patience, patience. patience. <laughs> yeah, it's not something you really want to rush. No, it, give yourself four years. Give yourself four years. Enjoy the process. Don't take shortcuts because you'll, you'll regret it. You know, you'll regret right. it. This. That's where I would fail. Maybe in my later years, I'll change. But yeah, yeah. My patience, and, I only have so yeah. much. It wears thin. <laughs> yeah. And, and use, use the, the best products uh, money can buy. You know, uh, yeah. use, use the best epoxies, use the best farin compound. Um, I see so many people um, uh, use automotive paint on a boat. You know, oh, wow. why are, yeah. Why are we doing that, guys? You know, it, it, I know that maybe marine paint has its limits in colors, but just live with it, you know, just, just buy an off the shelf 
color that that you're you're going to be happy with. But don't don't go put an automotive paint on boat. It, it it's not what it's made for, you know. Right. So just just you know buy quality products and 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 just do it right the first time. Yeah, your boat's also your safety net when you're out there on the water. So make sure it's right from the get go. Is yeah, you, you want to have fun on your boat, not be worried about problems. Exactly. And, and, and another thing is once you built her, use the heck out of her because that's what she's built for. You know, she's, she's, she's built to be used. It's, it's not to be sit at the dock and, and, uh, give me, give me a reason for stuff to break is what I always say, you know, <laughs> Oh, I used it a lot. So, you know, the toilet pump broke because I've flushed it so many times, but not the toilet pump broke because I haven't used it in three months. You yeah. Know? That's definitely the worst and stuff breaks because it's, of not using it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. For sure. Anything else you want to add at all that you feel is important? Don't, don't think that building your own boat is going to be cheaper than buying a used boat because it's not, it's definitely not. Building your, own, <laughs> building your own custom boat is cheaper than buying a custom boat. That's the way you need, need to look at it. Um, it, I, obviously I didn't count any of my hours. I, I, I don't, need, at a certain point I stopped, uh, <laughs> keeping track of my hours. So, so that you save a lot of money doing that, but you know, if, if you're not handy and willing to do it yourself, and if you have to pay somebody to do it, there's no way, there's absolutely no way that it's cheaper than, uh, than yeah. buying a boat, even, even a new, uh, a new fiberglass boat, you know? It's, 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 it, like I said, it's a lot of hours. There's a lot of hours in man hours in, in these boats. Well, and, what now, what was your final tally from start to finish? I mean, I know you, you took a, about a four month hiatus to help me out, but counting that, you know, what, how long was it from the time you started to build your boat, not the planning phase, but started to build your boat to the time you were in the water I can use it. I can go fishing. Three and a half years. Three and a half years. That's so basically three year build. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A little over so, three years. Uh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. So, so from the design process, so from the day I said, okay, uh, I want to do this. It, it was four years. Yeah. Four okay. years the total. Yeah. Yeah. Believe it or not, uh, COVID was like a, that really helped me. So when, uh, when, when, we had our first lockdown when you left uh, Curacao. When when was that? April twenty twenty, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, early April. No, it was last year, twenty one. Oh, with the boat, you mean? Yeah. Was it when we got done the retrofit? Yeah, we and left. Uh, um, we went very end of twenty nineteen. Remember, we did New Year's in Grenada. Me, you, your family. That's right. Was, yep, we did New Year's twenty twenty in Grenada. And then COVID happened, and then I couldn't okay. get back to my boat for eight months. And then Kate and I uh, went back to Grenada in November, hoping things would open up. Never did. And in January, we came to you guys, hung out for a month and a half, and then things got crazy there, and we left. That was like yeah, mid-March, so, late March. Yeah, Very so late March. It, yeah, so April 2021, when they closed down Curacao, and I mean- That's my life. It, no, then it's 2020, April 2020. Oh, that lockdown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that lockdown. Day That's lockdown. when I was stuck home. 
Yes. <laughs> away from yes. my boo. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The they beginning of it all. Yeah, they locked Kershaw is locked down, like like locked down. We we weren't allowed to leave our houses. I mean, it was locked down. I remember you but, went and stayed. Yeah, <laughs> where <six> else? <laughs> I, I I slept at my office for six weeks. I was lucky enough that that I had all the materials, I had everything. Oh I no had, way! I had everything. I got lucky. I had everything in house. There was nothing. I had even sandpaper. I had had uh, uh, ready to go. So those six weeks really helped me finish that boat because I worked seven days a week. 14 hours uh, work days all by myself. Uh, so my wife and kids were, were allowed to drive twice a week because that's, that's all it was, depending on your license plate. So my wife would uh, do grocery shopping on those days, drop it off at the office. Um, it, Davis was doing online school. Matilda was doing online school. If they had time, they would come and help me. But half the time, they didn't have time because they were doing online schooling. And every Saturday, they would come to the office and give me a full day, day's uh, uh, help. And COVID, in that sense, was a godsend because in those six weeks, I got so much done. You yeah, know? talk about a perfect lockdown for you. Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> a perfect lockdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And fun. I mean, you enjoy the process. So yeah, yeah. Actually, be- that, that process was least uh, enjoyable because that was the painting. So. Oh, man. <laughs> So that's yeah. trial and error and start yeah. over again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, at least you had the time to do that, though. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The pressure cup exploding in your face. and Oh, my God. Out. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You name it, it happens. Learning curve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. pretty funny. Well, before we get off here, um, I want to do a charter boat question of the day. Okay. I had a charter captain mate for years. I asked a lot of questions on fishing trips. And this time, like instead of me getting asked questions, I'm going to be the one asking one of the many unusual or usual questions I get asked. So, okay. Um, Cause I love it. It's fun. And I, I have a hard time recalling things. So it takes me a minute, but uh, what I want to ask you today is Chris, what's the craziest thing that you've ever seen on the water? Like the absolute craziest thing you've ever seen in the water without a doubt fishing venezuela and this was i was a teenager so uh late 80s probably so no no cell phone cameras nothing but let me tell you if we videoed this it would have gone viral so a big whale so we're on a 46 foot bertram and this whale is as long as this bertram and uh, he comes up on our uh, right rigger and he's right side up. So we see a black thing coming up on our right side rigger uh-huh. and he's just swimming with us. He turned or she or he turns around and goes sideways and belly up. And for about 10 minutes, she just swam under that rigger with a big old white belly. No way. I mean, it was the most amazing thing. I mean, no one was watching lines. No, we were just staring at this thing slowly, you know, its tail just moving slowly up and down. And, and just, it, it, I, you know, it's just most amazing thing I've ever seen. It was just, that is pretty unbelievable. wild. Unbelievable. Any idea what kind of whale or I guess, I don't know Not, my whale is as good as I should either, but. 
Not a clue. A whale that's... <laughs> it's a that's, large whale. Yeah, a large whale with the, the, the top of it is dark and the bottom is a white belly. And I wouldn't know what the hell I would assume gray whale or a blue whale, but uh, some remodelers is going to be butchering us there for yeah. this conversation. Right. But uh, <laughs> I would assume it's only thing it could be that big, but uh, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, it was so cool. It was so cool. It, it, you know, to see something like that, you're like, my God, you know, you have to be out here. Otherwise, you're not, yeah. not going to. Yeah. That's yeah. why we do it. I mean, the thing yeah. you see out there, second to none, most days, yeah. you always see something amazing. But yeah. Well, how can people follow you? Like, uh, what's your Instagram? Oh, I don't know. I have to check. <laughs> <laughs> Showing your age on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because our buddy Hadi, he's he's our he's my Instagram guy. So okay. I have, to, I have to anytime there's something good posted, <laughs> it's usually done by Hadi. I just send him stuff and he he you know he gets it ready. Makes it happen. Makes it happen. All right, so I got you here. It's Chris Van Grieken. Uh, yes. Anybody wants to follow him, it's uh, Chris and then Van Grieken is V A N G R I E K E N. So check him out. Definitely always posting some awesome fishing pictures and always playing with the boat pictures. But uh, who knows? Maybe you'll be in for a new build here of some sort. You you <laughs> said you wanted to build a skiff, like a, a towable skiff, right? Can yeah. You, so, like, for traveling? Yeah. So Davis should graduate uh, uh, Neighbor Architecture and Engineering School. Uh, shout out to uh, UNO in New Orleans, University of New Orleans. All right. And uh, so... As soon as he's done, he's going to design something for me and I'll, I'll build it. And I'll probably do it in, uh, in some kind of composite. No wood, something, try to build something really, really light, you know, maybe made out of Kusa or, or you know, some other uh, composite just to, to play around with it. That's pretty awesome. That'll be a pretty cool project. I want to see that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll leave your... Um your Instagram handle in the show notes. There are people okay. who want to see that. Just go to salt euphoria slash podcast and should be right there for you. So yeah, give Chris a follow. Definitely worth, definitely worth watching really good fishing in Curacao. And a lot of people don't even realize it. It's amazing down there. Yes. Uh, but Chris, thanks a lot for your time. This is awesome. And I mean, I knew a fair amount, but um, about your boat bill, but this is cool. Actually like, fully get a chance to talk about together because usually when we're together we're just talking about fishing or boat problems usually it's me like hey chris how do i fix this or <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for always helping me there I, I try not to bombard you too much but uh sometimes i get stuck and you always seem to figure stuff out no matter what and i appreciate that anytime anytime and the cool thing about uh, or i think it's pretty cool about the uh facebook or instagram uh page is after i guess year one i pretty much try to upload every week pictures of the build at the beginning i wasn't very good about that but okay there's a lot of history that you could see uh you know oh, no way. The process yeah. all right so you scroll back a couple of years and be able to see a lot exactly. of cool stuff yeah yeah um, well thanks a lot chris this is awesome all right thank you ricky have a good one all right you too all right bye-bye This was another episode of the Saltwater Euphoria Podcast. 
If you want to find out more about all the things that were mentioned on this episode, visit saltwatereuphoria.com forward slash podcast. Hit like and subscribe for more big game sport fishing, conversations with other sport fishing enthusiasts, and personal stories from the life of Captain Ricky Wheeler. This is Saltwater Euphoria Podcast. Till next time.